Hi everyone, we're back again for the podcast today with my Irish brother, Killian Dunn. How are things? Not too bad, mate. Thank you for having me. Uh, no worries. Always good to see you again, even if it is through a screen and from another coast of the US. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to see you as well, mate. It's been a while. You know, so you were born in Brookline, but grew up in Dublin. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Yeah, I knew I knew <laughs> that was going to be your first line of the podcast. That's it's true. I uh, I was born in Boston, Brookline to be specific, and uh, when I was about five, I, I did move to Dublin, and that's that's where I was raised. But I am uh, an American at heart, some would say. <laughs> so, how was it growing up in Dublin? Uh, it was uh, it was great, and um, you know I truthfully like I, I grew up in Dublin from five to 19 but uh my summers were spent in uh in Cape Cod in Massachusetts so I I kind of got the best of both worlds uh I do I, I look at it like really favorably you know I I had great friends in Dublin um I grew up in a you know a nice neighborhood where all my family was my my granny was only about a five minute walk away and uh, you know, aunties and uncles living on the same street and whatnot. So it was, it was a great upbringing. I, I love Dublin. Uh, I do miss it dearly. Uh, and then, you know, in the summers, Cape Cod is an absolutely gorgeous place to be. You know, you, you've been there yourself, McKenna, stayed at my house and uh, it's lovely. So I, I really did have the best of both worlds. But, you know, as as for Dublin, uh, you know, I, I, I do love it. And I, I'm going to try to get back, you know, two or three times a year now that I'm living out in LA. Yeah, it's like... You're one of the few Irishmen that actually get a summer every year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, my fr- my friends would all be jealous. They'd, uh, you know, I'd, I'd come back with a bit of a tan and uh, they'd all be, you know, obviously pasty white. And <laughs> yeah, I, I would get a bit of slagging, definitely. But uh, it was worth it. You know, three months of sun for a couple of weeks of slagging. Can't yeah. complain. Yeah, 100% worth it. <laughs> Can't complain. So when did you start playing soccer then? Uh, so I played I played soccer my my entire life really. Uh, I was actually my dad tells a story I think and it might be a bit of an exaggeration but he said the first thing I ever wore was a Manchester United jersey. Uh, so I was you know I was playing soccer by the time I could run, uh, which maybe three or four years old. Uh, not not too sure, but I was young. Um, and then. That was in Boston, and when I moved to Dublin, I joined just the local club there. It was called the Willows, and uh, yeah, played played with them schoolboy till I was about twelve, and then I joined a different team called Talker Rovers, where uh, I kind of it was a little bit higher of a level, uh, l- l- taken a little bit more seriously, uh, but it was all it was it was all in good fun as well. You know, it was it was a great experience playing there. Yeah, you mentioned Talker Rovers there. When did you decide to yourself, all right, I need to kind of step it up and start taking this a bit more seriously i was 15 or 16 i think um i want to say 15 uh playing with the under 16s and my i i had a really good season i was actually a center back uh back then believe it or not um, <laughs> for those of you that have never uh, seen me in person i'm only five foot nine so i'm, I'm I, I would be quite small for a center back nowadays but uh I, I played centre-back and I, I was quite good at, at the time. So I got an invitation to um, to kind of play in this this little tournament. Uh, it was me and five other lads on my team. And they basically kind of split you up and they put you on four separate teams. And it was essentially like Dublin trials. So you would they would eventually pick the best, like 20 out of the, the best 40 from the league. 
And uh, so at that time, I was in the best 40 and I didn't end up making the best 20. But it was kind of the moment I realized that like I did like have the opportunity to to get better and um, to get a lot better. So started taking it very seriously after that. Uh, went on very extreme diets. Uh, I was a fitness freak. I, I didn't didn't drink. Uh, okay. like, so Guinness for breakfast, Guinness for lunch. Guinness <laughs> yeah. for breakfast. <laughs> exactly yeah typical Irishman uh but I took it really seriously and you know I uh I did get better and I I got very very fit and by the time I was I want to say 17 I ultimately decided that uh you know I wanted to go to college in America and and the route I wanted to take was was that of playing football so did anyone else that you grew up playing with go on to do something in soccer or was there anyone yeah. that stood out to you yeah, there was this one guy, uh, I went to primary school with him and he also played for that club, Talker Rovers. Uh, his name is James Talbot. He was a, well, was and is a goalkeeper. He, he currently plays for Bohemians FC in Dublin. Um, and he, I think he won player of the year last year. He's, he's a fantastic footballer. But I remember years ago, age 10 or 11, you know, he was getting trial offers from all these massive clubs I think like Chelsea maybe even Barcelona was one of the rumours he he was fantastic and he ultimately kind of ended up staying in Dublin for a little bit for a few years transferred clubs to a home farm where you know a lot of a lot of uh, Irish footballers have have come through there they're a fantastic yeah. club in Dublin. and uh, yeah I think when he was 15 he did a trial at Sunderland really liked it there and uh, ended up going over. I think he played there till he was about 22, and then he, he came back to Ireland to play professionally. Um, but he would would be the best player that I, I'd say I've ever played with. Mm-hmm. So I know you grew up idolising guys like your older brother, Richard Dunn. Uh, <laughs> who were your idols growing up that made you fall in love with the game? I loved, uh, I loved Damien Duff, I think. Uh, he was probably... My favorite player as a kid, uh, if if we're talking strictly Irish players, um, I I just loved him. I thought he was so under. He still, I and I still think he's so underrated. Like the shit that he used to be able to do was just off the charts, and uh, he really was a fantastic footballer. I even though I wasn't a goalkeeper, I love Shea Given as well. It's just you know that man has been around since the Stone Age. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't age. He doesn't age at all. Yeah. And uh, I also, and you're not going to like this, McKenna, but uh, Aidan McGeady was was uh, a fan favourite for me for for a little while. Ah, I love McGeady. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the <laughs> he was the epitome of the Celtic academy growing up. Yeah, he is. Uh, I thought he was a fantastic player, and I, I don't know what do you think. I thought he could have gone on to do like slightly uh, better things. Yeah, if he hadn't went to Moscow, he would have. Like killed it. Like he should have yeah. went to some like Man United or Liverpool, or mm-hmm. he was good exactly. enough for them. Like incredible talent. Oh, incredible talent! So I, I, I absolutely loved him uh, when he was kind of in his prime. Yeah, and do you not call him Aiden McGreedy? Yeah, we do. Yeah, Aiden McGreedy. Yeah, because <laughs> he doesn't pass. <laughs> ne- never passes the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're taught at Celtic. You just get the ball and dribble. Yeah. <laughs> well, it used to work for him at Celtic. It didn't work for him. Uh, didn't work for him after that. <laughs> so you also played rugby well at Belvedere College. How did you manage to combine both of them? Obviously, two different sports. Like rugby's more for the fat kids that can't play football. Yeah. 
Uh, it was, it, it definitely was like a little bit of a challenge, but, uh, you know, it was, it was truthfully like it was my dad that, uh, that really pushed me to kind of play both sports. And, you know, he made sure I, I got to like every training session. Um, you know, I think, I think it was every Wednesday I would have rugby after, after school for about two hours. Then my dad would pick me up and I would pretty much go straight to football practice. So, um, it was definitely, it was definitely tough at times, but it was also like looking back, it was really good because it kind of kept me busy, uh, kept me fit. And it also like, it really, it strains it as well. You know, like I, I wasn't in a position that did, you know, a crazy amount of tackling or a crazy amount of running. I was kind of, I was like a backup man, really. It was <laughs> a number six or a number seven in rugby, but uh, still regardless, uh, you know, it was it definitely benefited my football made me a lot stronger quicker you know so a little little bit smarter too i you know i when i was younger i used to be a fiend for slide tackling and you know <laughs> for some reason rugby just snapped some sense some sense into me so uh yeah definitely definitely helped me become a better athlete playing the two sports at once yeah, and you mentioned the commitment there, having to go from one practice to another and how much you rely on your parents. Like people don't realise in sports, like to get to the top level, you your parents have to be committed as well. And having that support behind you pushes you on. Completely agree. And anyone who uh you know who didn't have that kind of support and as someone who's, you know, working toward making, you know, their uh their sport, their professional career is just crazy like it's it's so admirable because I definitely wouldn't have been able to I definitely wouldn't have been able to have gone to Northeastern to play football without having the support of my parents yeah definitely and you mentioned you mentioned there you ended up at Northeastern what other schools were you looking at then when you first started thinking of going to the US at 17 yeah so I you know as I said like born in Boston spent a lot of time here I knew um you know, the greater Boston area was kind of something that I, it was somewhere that I wanted to be. Uh, it was always something that I liked. I know I love the Northeast. So I looked at Providence College, Boston College and Northeastern primarily, uh, you know, a few other schools kind of here and there like Fordham and Holy Cross and all that. But I was, I was most interested in those three schools. So I think at first Providence might've been my number one. I had a buddy, uh, that went there at the time and you know I wanted you know I in a perfect world I would have lived with him and played football on the side and you know the guy's my best friend so that was number one didn't didn't end up working out they uh you know I'm sure you remember the time that we were both at college Providence were a fantastic program like top four or five in the country at one stage so they were great Boston College a similar situation the coach there was actually Irish and uh, I played in a few camps for him while I was in uh, Boston during the summer. So, you know, he kind of got to see me play a little bit. I got to see what he was like as a coach. And, you know, we had a few conversations lasting up until Christmas of my, what would be my senior year of high school, but uh, ultimately didn't end up working out. And Northeastern was the one that did work out. And I have to say, I'm actually, I'm very happy that it was the one that did work out. Um, Just from what I have seen of, you know, the other two schools, I feel Northeastern is a little more my speed. Yeah, and so how did you end up deciding to go to Northeastern then? Uh, so Brian Ainscoff, the coach at the time of Northeastern, uh, was a Dublin guy. Uh, obviously, ran, ran the bolts and uh, all that in Boston. He was a bit of a 
this still is a bit of a big name in, in the world of uh, college soccer. Um, so, you know, got, got in touch with him pretty early on in my, in my playing days. I want to say I did my first camp for him when I was about 11 or 12. Uh, play, trained with like a couple of his Bolts teams a few times. And then when the time came around, uh, there was conversation about me going to Northeastern. So uh, ultimately it, it seemed right. Uh, I, I, I knew his coaching style. I knew him as a person and I'd heard really great things about, about the team and, and the school itself. So I think it was more just from a logical standpoint. I, I remember being told by the BC coach, you know, you can come here, but there's a chance that you'll get cut pretty early on. And he said, could you come to school and not play soccer? And I, you know, had a, a real deep think about it. And I thought like, ah, like I've worked so hard to, to play soccer. I might as well give it a go. So I think ultimately that was probably the reason I chose Northeast and just the aspect of soccer. Um, but, you know, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say that. Like I, I really, uh, you know, like Brian as a person, I, I knew his coaching style and it was definitely uh as, as transitions go, it, it seemed like the logical move at the time. So how did you find the adaptation required for college soccer? And obviously playing with guys from around the world instead of just from Ireland? Yeah, Jesus. And I'm sure you can uh, kind of attest to this, but like things at home are a little bit different. Like, you know, for example, my, different. <laughs> yeah, my like youth, my like youth coach used to smoke cigarettes on the sideline and you know scream at us and all that so it was very different it was like it to me it felt quite professional um or at least uh, professionally you know driven or you know that kind of thing so it at first it was definitely tough like the pace was a lot quicker um i, I want to say like you know stamina and strength were kind of prioritized a lot more than technicality uh, or like technical skills and whatnot so that was a little bit of it took a little bit of adapting to to kind of get used to to that but you know that being said like soccer is soccer it didn't take didn't take too long I want to say it took a few months for me to like really kind of feel comfortable um but that's you know part of the reason why I redshirted my freshman year I, I wasn't uh I wasn't ready to play you know to play in like the CAA games or you know any of the really highly competitive ones there were a lot better players on the team than I was so you know, right away, I kind of used that as training experience, you know, just getting myself as comfortable as possible so that I could be on the team the following year. Yeah, and do you think it was easier for you kind of to settle in since your dad was often here for work? Obviously, your mom and brother came across in the summers. A hundred percent. Very much so. I, you know, my parents moved me in. My dad lived two miles away from Northeastern. Like, he... You know, his work is in uh, the bar and restaurant industry. He, he owns Irish pubs in Boston. And, you know, the, the closest pub was like a mile from <clears throat> from my doorstep. It, it was nothing. <laughs> it was a 15-minute walk. So it was very easy to get myself kind of integrated into, like, into, into the Boston culture anyway and into the Northeastern college culture. So, it you know, for me, it wasn't that difficult. But uh, I do know that the other international kids, you know, took took a little while. Uh, naturally so um there were there were a few things that you know like the food for one I had just moved like from Ireland basically even though I, I did spend a lot of time in America in the summer like I still you know my parents were Irish like we don't really eat like a lot of the American garbage uh yeah. so moving to into a dorm and having to eat like that shite in the cafeteria <laughs> it was <a> bit, <laughs> stays in east uh, every single day 
Yeah, it was a bit of a shock. My stomach didn't particularly uh, take well to it. <laughs> I don't think anyone's that. Yeah. Like like anything, you just get used to it. Yeah, so you obviously played with some characters in that team, guys from all over the world. Who were the guys that impressed you the most when you first arrived? Uh, in terms of, you know, kind of like football ability or yeah. just uh, in general. Uh, so, well... First of all, you, uh, you when when I first came, like you were probably uh, like one of three of the best players in the team, for a fact. And uh, you know, you you yourself and Lewis Aird, I really kind of looked up to. Uh, you were also the other two on the team that were, you know, from like Western Europe, like from as, as daft as you. <laughs> yeah, like I remember my first day, my first day of training, uh, I was, for some reason I was playing centre forward um, and you were the other centre forward and uh, the other striker and uh, we were tipping the ball off to each other and like we hadn't even started the match and I was fucking bucketing sweat and I turned <laughs> to you and like, how the hell do you get used to this and I forget what you told me but you gave me advice or something and it really worked, you were like, just suck it up and it'll be done in an hour or something like yeah. that. Like, like an, hour, an hour of pain and then you're good. Like, you yeah, nice like it gets better. <laughs> I was fucking in sweat. It was about 100 degrees out. Uh, so I would say yourself and Lewis like really impressed me at first. And then, you know, it's a bit of a tie, but obviously, you know, Franzi Perot, uh, when I first got there, you know, he, he was a bit of a gold machine. Yeah, uh, he, you know, the CAA loved him. Brian loved him. You know, he was just all in all in all, like just a beast. You know, I I just like I I found it so impossible to to defend that guy. Uh yeah. but great experience, you know, defending against a guy like that in training makes it easier in the match. So Yeah, he was just a like he suited the college game so much just because of his physique and like mm-hmm. Franzi played basketball before, so he, he was huge as well. And I heard he was amazing at basketball. Yeah. I heard he, <laughs> he was definitely better at basketball than he was at soccer. Absolutely mental. Just <laughs> a pure pure athlete, really. Yeah. So him and then uh, I would say it's a tie between like him and Harry Schwartz. Uh, Harry was was uh, really impressive my freshman year. I think he just had such a dedication to uh, to the team and, and to kind of like his progression as a player. Uh, yeah, I think that's, he still does. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why he he is where he is today is because he just has like the most amazing mindset towards soccer, you know, truly a growth mindset, like very, very impressive in in my eyes. And it it was what, six years ago when I first went to Northeastern. Yeah. And you speak about that growth mindset. That's something that you had as well. Like you were always busting your arse every day, like at practice, like no matter what, but unfortunately there was a change in a coach during your time at Northeastern and you weren't in his plans. How did that make you feel, especially when you were fighting for your place every day and continually improving as a player? Oh yeah, well, like you know, it obviously felt shit. Uh, it was it was pretty pretty shitty. I remember the day that like I got cut. I think like a few other guys got cut the the same day, but I was like the first one. My meeting was first, and uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was it was pretty terrible. Like I was kind of blindsided, but uh, also kind of not. Like when the coaching change happened there was clearly, there were clearly differences right off the bat. Everyone, everyone felt them. Everyone kind of noticed, but you know, it was a new, like new coach. Like the guy wanted to do things his way. Like nobody, nobody complained. Uh, All, you know, all you can do is have a good attitude and try to get better. And like, that's kind of the attitude that I took. I, you know, 
the during the summer uh before the seat before preseason started i ran like you know more than i've ever run in my life i was taking it a lot more seriously like dot you know dieting like crazy came back in the in the fall you know did pretty well definitely improved a lot but ultimately uh you know ultimately he just wanted other players uh so it sucked working that hard but um you know water under the bridge by now no harm no foul and like clearly he's got the you know the type of team that he wants now it's pretty pretty obvious when you go to their games and you know you meet the guys on the team it's just totally different from what what Brian had kind of envisioned yeah and that's like the way like different coaches come in and they have their own plans and methods and if your face doesn't fit then it's hard no matter how hard you're working and busting a gut like it's hard to get your foot in the foot back in the door again exactly yeah so you know it, it is what it is basically but uh all in all, like that, those two years playing soccer at Northeastern were absolutely fantastic. And you know, if I could have stayed on the team for longer, I I absolutely would have. It was it was a great experience. Yeah, and obviously, like you mentioned, day two years there, like you're really busy as a soccer, like playing soccer at college from first thing in the morning right through mm-hmm. until last thing at night. What kind of things did you get up to away from soccer just to keep yourself occupied? Uh, so the big thing with me is riding. Uh, you know, I've been riding since I was 17 years old. Uh, and when I say riding, you know, I, I started out writing screenplays for film. Uh, I have, you know, as long as I've been alive, I've been obsessed with movies. They've just been kind of, you know, like my comfort thing. I always, a movie a day basically uh, is, you know, might as well be my motto. I watch a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so outside of soccer, like when I had free time and like when I didn't have to catch up on work for, for college, it would always be kind of dedicated towards writing uh, and, you know, got a lot done. And then obviously like on the weekends, you know, I was, you know, I was 19 years old. I just moved to fucking America. Like I, I, I love to go out partying. Like I was, you know, I was just kind of in the mindset that like I'm here, like this is what I've wanted for years. Like I'm going to take full advantage of yeah they'll enjoy it yeah so you know and that was you know that was obviously great as well like you and i had some pretty like pretty fun nights uh like especially my freshman year definitely Um, a few memorable nights and even (laughs) (laughs) what what would you say were your favorite memories like of obviously the social aspect of things the social aspects um well, I loved, so uh, like a few different things. My freshman year, I loved going to Dougie P to your place uh, and like having pre-drinks there and then going to that house that we always used to go to. Um, <laughs> the one that you could never remember the address for? Yeah, never. And uh, <laughs> we called this the rugby house because we, I think like one person on the rugby team lived there, but I think it was a frat house. Uh, I think it was actually a frat house, so... But uh, yeah, my fondest memories, like for from my freshman year and basically from all of college, are are us just kind of getting boozed up at at your place, like having people over, and then all of us just walking over to that house. And every single Friday or Saturday, there'd be kind of a crazy party going on, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was always a lot of fun. Uh, those those were great. Um, and then also one hundred three Hemingway. It, it'd be uh, sacrilegious not to not to mention one or three. It was uh, just the pregame spot at college, and I mean everyone on the team used to go. It was it was 
kind of a really good place to bond with your teammates. Like you're not playing football, like no one's fucking screaming at each other. Like you're just drinking and having a good time and yeah. playing like drinking games and all that. So that was a good laugh. Uh, great way to meet lads on the team as well. You know, that social aspect. So yeah, two of my fondest, uh, I guess, groups of memories at college. <laughs> so what would you say your honest experience was of Northeastern? Honest experience at Northeastern. Uh, first three years, great. Um, and, you know, new, exciting, uh, lots, lots going on. Fourth year, things kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, you know, you're getting older. Most of your friends who are the same age as you are looking at jobs, uh, graduating college, doing kind of more adult things. And then the fifth year, it, it kind of, truthfully, it kind of feels like limbo. Uh, <laughs> like it's it's cool and all. You're you're still in college, like you're learning. Um, you have that kind of buffer to to find out what you really want to do and apply to jobs and it gives you a lot of gives you a lot of time to get your life together so from that from that aspect it's uh it's definitely helpful but it's a little boring uh and I was a 24 year old graduate I was you know going to the bar and I'd be six years older than some of the people there and it just (laughs) felt strange you know felt a little strange so I guess uh professionally and like you know educationally fifth year great uh socially little uh little underwhelming i kind of wish i did four years yeah it does catch up on you as well like when you start getting to that age and you're like looking around and you're like, all right i've grown yeah. in here is like a good chunk younger than me <laughs> exactly well i was at ohi once a uh, local college bar and uh i'm standing at the bar waiting for a drink and <laughs> Some guy like slaps me on the back and he's like, yo, like Killian, what's up? And I turn around, it's my fucking brother's friend. He was my brother was like 18 at the time. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing here? This is this is too weird for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, definitely got a little old for college at the end, but overall, can't complain. Northeastern's a brilliant school. Yeah, and you ended up getting your degree. How important was it to get that for you? And obviously your family were extremely proud of you. Oh, it was, it was huge. You know, my, my dad, like, didn't really go to college. I, I think uh, when he was a little bit older, he put himself through community college in, in Boston while he was bartending. Uh, but I, you know, it was, it was huge. For, I'm the old, oldest in my, in my family. Like, I went through a good school, graduated with, with a good GPA. Like, I, you know, it felt uh, validating, you know, felt very validating after five years of, of uh, working you know, hard in classes and whatnot and getting that physical degree and hanging it up on the wall. It, it feels really good, definitely. So you're obviously out in LA now. You've um, published your own short story, Stay Away, Hide Away, which is available on Amazon for anyone that wants to check it out. Tell us more about that. Sell them on it. Sell them on it, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Stay Away, Hide Away is, a, is a, like a short novel. Uh, it's a novella. It's... Um, Kindle uh, or paperback. Kindle is 151 pages. Paperback is uh, 129 pages. So it's quite it's quite small. Um, I wrote it about two years ago. It took me close to six, seven months to write. Another month or two to edit. And uh, I self-published and put it up on Amazon. Uh, it was a really cool experience uh, doing all that. You know, my first book. Um, and, you know, just to give you a little taster of the story, uh, it's basically 
it's all train of thought. So uh, the narrative is, is first person, moves really quickly, lots of cursing, lots of swearing. Uh, and the story is, is basically about a, uh, a detective whose kind of primary goal in his career was to catch the leader of this cult uh, that, you know, uh, was pretty prominent in New England. And the one day the leader of the cult leaves behind a death note in one of his estates claiming that he had gone off to commit suicide. And basically everyone decides that, you know, they've put 20 years of resources into catching this guy and he's just vanished. So they're not going to put any more resources into finding the body. But the lead detective put 20 years of his life into this case. So he simply doesn't want to, you know, give it up. So he decides to use the information that's in the notes to try track him down. And in the note, he, the leader of the cult addresses two of his daughters, uh, both of which don't know that each other exists because they were, you know, conceived with two different women. So the story is basically about that lead detective, the two daughters, and then the leader of that cult and uh, how they all kind of intertwine and how they kind of grow and progress through, through this time in their lives. And uh, cool experience to write it. Uh, you know, I moved to LA to be a writer. Uh, so I just finished another, another novel about a month ago. I'm like still editing it. Uh, it'll probably be another two months in the shop. But, uh, you know, that was the first real taste of, you know, having people read what I wrote. Yeah, what inspired you to start writing that? To start writing that story? Yeah. Ah, Jesus, I don't know. Like, I, I was at home. Uh, I was at home for Christmas and I was really bored one day. And I decided to kind of use the time to just like, sometimes like I'll just, you know, start screwing around and, and writing just to uh, get some practice in. Because it really is just like the more you write, the better you get at us so i started writing like a, a bunch of bullshit uh started writing like for some reason i thought a death note sounded cool so i was like huh like i'll <laughs> write a really sick death note uh and kind of decided that like i just watched like a documentary on cults pr probably uh you know i'm not sure if you're familiar there was one in like northwest us there's like some documentary about it. i think it's hbo um and so i was like okay that sounds kind of cool so I'll, I'll write about a cult and you know mended the two ideas together and then after the first chapter was finished I was kind of like ha huh, that only took like 30 minutes and you know I'm kind of kind of liking the sound of the story so I really just started writing a bunch of nonsense I wrote like five chapters in a day the chapters are really small it was only like like 10 Microsoft Word pages basically yeah and, uh, and yeah and then after that I was you know just had a lot of free time and uh, ended up finishing it within like six months yeah, and you mentioned you're out in LA now. Obviously, you're looking to pursue your dream of making a movie. Tell us about life there. Uh, life in LA is definitely it's first of all, it's a lot different from Boston, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm I'm here about four months now, close to four months, and it's been I mean, it's been great. Like I, I have been absolutely loving it. I live about a mile from the beach, uh, you know, so after work sometimes or on the weekends you can just go down to the beach and chill out and watch the sunset and you know it's just so fucking different like it's it is just completely different from anything i've ever known so i'm getting used to everything uh the people are, are very nice uh people are also a little different um you know definitely people in la are a lot more mm, i i guess seclusive 
um, especially in my neighborhood, you don't really see people walking around, you know, everyone drives. So it's a lot, it's a big change from Boston, but you know, as for the lifestyle and the culture and whatnot, I think, uh, I think it's a pretty good fit with, with my personality. So I can see myself being here for a good few years. Um, and obviously if writing, you know, really works out here, I'm trying to push like screenplays and whatnot every day. It's, you know, kind of my, uh, you know, my side gig and that's the whole reason why I moved out here. So at this time in my life, when you really boil it down, it's just straight up exciting. You yeah. Know, just, what would you, know, you say would be your aspirations? then for the industry uh for the industry i so <clears throat> basically like i, I want to aim high like i i, I want to be like a like a working screenwriter i would love to be like i, I don't know I, I would love to write films most of all uh but like even like a, a good tv writer if you worked on a good show like you know it's it's kind of been my dream to like my dream is to win an oscar basically like i i want to win the best original screenplay oscar and you know to be completely honest i thought i was going to do it by 25 but that's not fucking happening so uh, i want i want to do it like it's just like my ultimate goal to win an oscar um you know i i just i want to be the best and uh it takes a lot of work um it's definitely something that like you have to you have to love writing because like you spend fucking six or seven hours a day sitting in front of your computer and it's uh it's work but yeah, my aspiration is to, I guess, be the best, you know? Yeah, and plus you already know, like, um, the Matthew McConaughey lookalike, Adam Gibbs, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Adam Gibbs. <laughs> so cheers for taking the time today. It's been great hearing your journey so far and exciting things you're up to now. But before we go, what's some advice you could offer out there to future and even current student athletes still competing? Mm-hmm or thinking about committing to college? Yeah, uh, so I guess I'll start start with commit, uh, committing to college. Um, I guess making sure where you go is a good personality fit is like, you know, pretty important. Probably something that, you know, your counselor or whatever, like wouldn't really tell you. Um, grades and, you know, educational status are uh, pretty important. Obviously, like you, you want to you want to go somewhere where you're actually going to learn, uh, but mostly like make sure you go where your personality fits in. And, you know, when, when you're doing those visits and you're meeting the team, like, you know, don't, don't be afraid to really think about yourself and think like, could I see myself playing on this team? Or could I see myself getting along with these guys? Um, and then advice for like current student athletes that are, you know, you're playing at like the, the top of your game right now, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're at a time in your life where like you can, you can balance your social life and your professional life. So you really should. And I think any good coach would also kind of agree. Like you, you know, if you're taking football very seriously or whatever your sport is like, take it seriously, like do everything you need to do to, to grow, but also don't forget about like yourself and your own personal growth. Like go to that party, drink that beer, you know, like if, if that's what you want to do, like do it. Everything in moderation is, you know, is going to be fine, but definitely, uh, definitely make sure that like you're, you're growing as a person and, you know, yeah. And not just being obsessed with your sport. Yeah. That's good advice, especially because there is a lot of people out there who give everything their sport, but they'll also forget about that social aspect of things and they lose the life skills. And mm-hmm. also you're only in college for four years. Like you have to make sure your memories are all right. I made a bunch of friends here. 
I enjoyed myself and I did the best I could possibly do at both the sport side of things and the social aspect. Exactly. Completely agree. It's it's just as important as your professional, your professional life. That's brilliant, mate. Thanks again. Yeah, mate. Uh, thank you for having me. This was this was brilliant. No problem.